Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Today we have a wonderful message preached in 1985 by Dr. Carl Stevens about free enterprise. Christians through the ages, some groups have made the choice to isolate themselves and withdraw from the culture. But others have been bold in engaging culture and letting the life of God that's in them transform the world around them. Please listen carefully to this message, and though it was preached in 1985, you'll see parallels to the world around us today. We were asked to speak upon the subject of what the Word of God has to say in relationship to the free enterprise system. What does the Word of God have to say in relationship to the free enterprise system? Now in Job 36, verse 11, the Word of God says this, If they obey and serve me, notice that, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. I'll repeat that verse again. If they shall obey and serve me, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Now that's a very beautiful statement made by Job or made by the Holy Spirit in this particular verse. And then in Psalm 35, verse 27, the Word of God says this, Let them shout for joy and be glad. Then it says, Who favor my cause. Who favor my cause. Human freedom, which results in the free enterprise system, is part of God's cause, the very vital part of God's program to save individuals and to protect them of their property and their rights and their privacy as individuals. So let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So Psalm 3527b says that the Lord hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I'm going to give you one more verse right now in Isaiah 58 verse 11 which says, And the Lord shall be thy continual guide, thy soul shall not come into drought, and he'll make thy bones fat, says one translation. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of waters whose waters fail not. So the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Trinity has free volition. That the angels have free volition and that is the reason why in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, Satan said, I will five times against God. The angels have free volition and one third of them chose to follow Satan and his kingdom. And that's where we have the angelic conflict, which men become a vital part of. On the earth is God's theater of operation to determine the degree of men's happiness 
as well as their destinies throughout eternity. So the first thing the Lord did was to give Adam free volition. And he gave him this free volition before he gave him Eve. So we have the institution of free volition. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not partake of it. The day you do, thou shalt die. The tree of life was in the midst thereof. And you could eat all the other trees and live. And what was that tree of knowledge of good and evil? You see, it doesn't really matter what it was. Because it was a test of human volition. In other words... If you go negative toward my prohibition, you enter into spiritual death and ultimately physical death in hell. If you go positive toward my volition, you will live. So the issue was positive or negative volition toward God's mandate. So there's free volition. Now, I want you to think briefly of how the free volition works. Now, Thomas Jefferson made it very clear, and he understood it well, that man was not born with equality. I think everyone realizes that some individuals are born retarded in various places in the country that it make it very difficult to have equal rights. So men are not born into a society of equality. But Thomas Jefferson said this, that while men are not born into a society of equality, that every man must have a right to be free in national entity. His understanding was very rich. That every man must have the right to be free in national entity. Entity. So here's free volition. The Lord Jesus Christ incarnated God in, in the flesh, goes to the cross, and suffers and bleeds and dies for all of our sins. And all of our sins were transferred on him. I do not take it lightly with familiarity because of Isaiah 53, 6 and 1 Peter 2, 24. Every single sin of the entire world was transferred to him. That's important that you understand that when you realize that every man was not born with equality. So God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 reconciles the world unto himself. That doesn't mean he saves them, but he makes it possible for them to be saved by paying for all of their sins. Now, he that believeth on the Son hath life, and he that believeth not on the Son hath not life. And in John 3.36 with 1 John 5.9, he that believeth hath everlasting life. If he doesn't believe, the wrath of God abides on him. Now, what does that verse teach us? Free volition. That God will not coerce man into being saved. But man does have a responsibility through the first gift given to man, free volition. So, God protects the freedom of choice. And then, 
enters into the cross of Calvary with the unlimited atonement. What's the unlimited atonement? That he died for the sins of all the world. 1 John 2, 2 and John 3, 16. So sin is no longer an issue. The issue is the son. And if he believes, which is a non-meritorious expression of faith in Jesus Christ, he's saved. And if he doesn't believe, he has to receive the consequences of negative volition against Jesus Christ's atonement and he's lost forever in a literal place called hell. So that's free volition for the individual. Then God instituted marriage in which man may marry because it's not good for man to live alone and two are better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Marriage next. Then comes family, the sacred family that is the foundation and background of national entity and of the other institution that Jesus Christ built the New Testament church of which he is the head. So comes marriage, family, and then fourthly, national entity. Now, national entity was best illustrated without a whole lot of vivid description when Cain, first with Adam and Eve, as they had dominion in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and they were given free volition to name the animals, and then they had children. Then national entity continued for Cain in Genesis 4.16 when he went out from the presence of God and built a city and there was agriculture, music and industry and technology. But he did it without the presence of God and without redemption being implemented because he offered the fruit of his hands a system of works which is Satan's method of trying to make man right. Works something we do not grace totally depending upon who Christ is and what Christ has done so God's operation is all grace and Satan's counterfeit method is worse now Cain entered into a city from the presence of God it was a national entity but it rejected integrity moral uprightness which characterizes national entity and nationalism even among those in a nation who are not saved. For unsaved members of national entity, their national entity is protected by moral uprightness, integrity, human freedom, free enterprise, the protection of privacy, family, property, and rights to do what you can do with your gifts talents, investments, and hard work, and self-discipline. Now, moral uprightness doesn't save us, but it preserves national entity and human freedom from divine viewpoint for those that are not saved. Then comes, next, the institution of the church, when men and women have a free volition to go to any church they want, they, they are members of God's priesthood and may or may not receive the words of the preacher. They have a right to reject them, to stand or fall before God, and to live in the doctrine of privacy. But in every institution, when man goes negative against God's will and reveal light, 
he has to be responsible for divine consequences. So with his free volition comes responsibility. He can choose as he will, but he's responsible for his choices. Now then, with this understanding, Genesis 9 and 10, nationalism begins to grow. And it is formed after Noah and the flood. Now, when they begin to build a tower toward heaven, that is a picture of internationalism interfering with nationalism. And God instituted nationalism. And God rejects internationalism because it infringes upon human freedom of the individual ultimately, the marriage, the family, and the nation. Because international forces, as they will do in Revelation 17 and 18, begin to take over nations and individuals with international rule, depriving us of human freedom, which the Ten Commandments were given to provide us with human freedom. The Ten Commandments give us freedom of individually, freedom of our marriage, do not commit adultery, freedom of our reputation, do not bear false witness, and gives us freedom of property, do not steal, and freedom from idolatry, being confused in our mind by not having any other God before us. So, the Ten Commandments are not a legislative document to be a legalistic force of restrictions, but to protect us in every realm of life in human freedom, thus leading to the national entity of a nation and the free enterprise system. I want you to think with us about God's desire, what God's desire is for the individual. What is God's desire for the individual? God's desire for the individual is that we understand that all the cattle and the forests and the beasts of the field are his. In Psalm 50 verse 10. And in Haggai 2.8, all the gold and silver he says are mine. All the cattle on a thousand hills. So, we must get to know that Every single thing then is God's and belongs to God. And because God is a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy. Mercy implements grace and compassion expresses love toward others. And because God is a God of unconditional love, mercy and compassion, he wants to share his wealth with us as we honor his word his spiritual laws to protect us and others in our human freedom and he wants to share provisions that will make us happy outwardly and happy inwardly but he gives it with his heartbeat of love so that we will share it with others. So the whole purpose of prosperity and success is to be able to share it with our neighbors and have it multiply all by our choice through the grace given to us by Christ, through the precious Holy Spirit, through categorical doctrine. And categorical doctrine simply means 
how to think with God objectively in specific areas of life. Now, how did the early individuals of God use this amazing principle to put free enterprise into practice? How did they do it? Well, in 1868, the head of Williams College, a man by the name of Mark Hopkins, wrote and published the treatise on ethics entitled The Law of Love or Love as a Law. Now, this was a beautiful treatise published by Mark Hopkins at the time because it went into the beginning of free enterprise in relationship to love that Christ had shared with him and them and they were to share it with others by purchasing property and by owning property and by defending property without taxation when they came here, of course, in the early stages until Britain began to tax the colonies. So, supply, no taxation, growth economically in every realm, hard work, have what you have earned preserved and kept in the national entity, and then be free to propagate the gospel so unsaved masses would have the privilege of choosing or rejecting what Jesus Christ did on the cross by having the message proclaimed clearly without coercing them, honoring their freedom, but making it possible for them to receive Christ by grace and enter into eternal salvation through faith. That was what was behind this amazing original understanding of the law of love. So this is what he said in his treatise. The acquisition of property is required by love. The acquisition of property is required by love because it's a powerful means of benefiting others. A selfish getting of property, though better than a selfish indolence or wastefulness, is not to be encouraged because it only reveals an individual who is independent of the spirit of Calvary. Now, you think of it. After Hopkins came, the, min the Baptist minister of Philadelphia, Russell H. Conwell. Now, he was a very popular lecturer, and remember he published The Acres of Diamonds. This particular lecture was sold and repeated throughout the USA 6,000 times. He said, every good man and woman ought to own property and to do good with it so that he can enjoy the creation of God's hand, the creativity of God's mind, the blessing of God's will, the grace of God's heart, and the benefit of God's compassion. If we get it honestly, we have fulfilled God's desire. If we do not, we are in a withering cause. If God calls a man to make money in his earthly calling, he holds the wealth he acquires as a steward of the Lord. Only by working along the lines of right thinking with God and right living in Christ can the secrets and wealth of nature be revealed, thus revealing the characteristic 
of God's intentions for those He created. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. First John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Really, those three categories listed there, all carnal desire can be broken down into those categories. And yet, God has left us here. He could have, at the moment of our salvation, somehow translated us out of this fallen world into his kingdom. But he decided within his perfect plan that men who have been sanctified by by the Spirit of God would remain in the world and would have an effect and a witness and a testimony of the kingdom of God here with our feet planted on the ground. Though we are heavenly minded, a godly man or woman is of much earthly good. In Mark 10, starting in verse 29, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now, in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Wow, so good. Many use that verse and preach what might be defined as a prosperity gospel, that the spiritual person will prosper and grow rich and have many possessions. And uh, we don't teach that. It's very clear from this scripture that there are promises given there, that there'll be multiplication in the disciple's life, in the one who's going after God, in the one who's willing to sacrifice for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake. But we see there a multiplication of relationships and experiences, and that is guaranteed. But also there's a multiplication of trouble with persecutions, with the guarantee of eternal life. In John 16:33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Hmm. There's a long passage in John 17. It's one of my favorite portions of Scripture. John 17, starting in verse 11 and finishing in verse 15. (laughs) I'll just let the Scripture speak. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, 
that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil, Mm. that they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And we are not. We are not. When we believed in Jesus Christ, we're not of the world, but we're in it. We're in it. And there's great opportunity for us, as we heard in that message, to apply the principles of the scriptures and see the effect that a holy life and a holy brethren, a holy group of people can accomplish, of how the impact that God has, that God through his spirit moves in our lives and affects a dark and dying, despairing world. And individuals there are ignited with the life of God. Philippians 2.15 That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Second Peter 1.4 Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com Have you escaped the corruption that is in the world? Or are you mastered by your own lust? Oh, lust is a it's a serious word. It, in our culture, it, it's defined as a sensual thing, uh, an appetite. But lust is anything that is a desire that's strongly centered on something that has nothing to do with holiness and nothing to do with God himself. We can lust after a person, but you can lust after a car. You can lust after a different life, after someone else's house. You can lust after fame and fortune, an ideal of what you think your life should be, and really it's lust. When God has an idea, God has an idea, and his idea is a perfect one. And his idea for your life is that you would receive his son, Jesus Christ. I can say that confidently. That if you come to him in the name of his son, if you believe on his work on the cross 2,000 years ago, and receive him as your savior, believing he died for your sins, he was buried in your place, and he rose again on the third day, then you will be holy and undefiled, and can live a holy and undefiled life in this world and be an overcomer and a conqueror. That is God's heart for you and desire for you, but you must make a choice with your will to receive it and own it as yours. So, believe today. Believe God is standing at the door knocking on your heart. Will you open to Him and believe in His Son? Maybe you'll pray a prayer, Lord. I receive you. Lord, come into my life. I've been in the world and of the world, and I pray you would come into my life and make me different. Sanctify me, cleanse me of my sin, and lead me through this life in a life of holiness. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.